Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. So today's episode was inspired by Eating Disorder Awareness Month, which is March. Unrealistic beauty standards are set all over social media right now, and a lot of individuals starve themselves to have a certain type of body or physique. So in this episode, we will be discussing body dysmorphia, eating disorders, as well as me sharing one of my personal stories. So what exactly is body dysmorphia? Body dysmorphia is a preoccupation with one or more perceived deficits or flaws in your physical appearance that are not observable to others. The preoccupation focuses most commonly on the skin with perceived acne, scars or wrinkles, and on hair with a fixation on your hair thinning or having excessive body or facial hair. A lot of the perceived flaws lead people to believe that they are ugly or unattractive, but a lot of their insecurities are things that other individuals have to try really hard to notice. At some point during the course of having the disorder, individuals perform repetitive behaviors like mirror checking, excessive grooming, skin picking, and seeking reassurance. Another common behavior for those with body dysmorphia is comparing their appearance to those of others. So it's completely normal to be stressed out over scars, wrinkles, acne, and other occurrences in our skin. But a diagnosis is only given whenever the preoccupation causes significant distress in your social and occupational areas of functioning. Many individuals with body dysmorphia believe that other people are mocking them because of how they look, when that's usually not the case at all. It's associated with very high levels of social anxiety and social avoidance due to fear that they will be mocked and judged. But... It's important to remember that these flaws they feel like they have are unobservable by others, which is why they're super unlikely to be mocked in the first place. Matter of fact, a majority of individuals receive cosmetic treatment to improve their perceived deficits. This is usually done through dermatology and plastic surgery. Botched surgeries are common, and the individual ends up looking worse in their eyes compared to before the surgery. And as a result, they take legal action to the surgeon. Now, a little bit side note, right? A little side Mm -hmm, note over mm -hmm. here, okay? Why is this such an LA thing, honestly? Okay, like we see a lot of people in LA, you know, getting like surgery and like plastic surgery done to like improve Mm -hmm. their deficits and like improve their like so called flaws. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like that in other parts of the world, but like in LA, this type of behavior is normal. LA is a toxic city, and the people who are are social influencers in LA are people who have done plastic surgeries so that's the kind of image they place on younger people in LA which is why it's so bad you know I I feel like plastic surgery like rhinoplasties and like Botox and all that stuff has become so socially accepted that in the sixth edition of the DSM whenever it comes out I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they removed body dysmorphia from DSM and they didn't consider I mean like having like plastic surgeries is like okay but like People shouldn't be, like, influencing that that's the way you're supposed to look. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what's considered a disorder is entirely cultural. So, a behavior that is normal in one culture but abnormal in another culture may only be considered a disorder in said culture, right? Mm -hmm. The DSM was written by the American Psychiatric Association, right? Emphasis on American. So, these are only disorders that are abnormal in American culture, okay? In societies Mm -hmm. where plastic surgery is way more common... This may not seen as a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of the side note right over there. Mm-hmm. Back to the topic. Back mm-hmm. to the main mm-hmm. focus. So that brings us to this gray area, right? At what point do we draw the line between someone getting plastic surgery or something done medically to improve their appearance versus full-on body dysmorphia? Okay. Well, 
the criteria for body dysmorphia is more so about the preoccupations and repetitive behaviors that are consuming and hard to control. Mm-hmm. Kind of like OCD. Matter of fact, body dysmorphia is literally categorized under obsessive compulsive disorders in the DSM. Mm-hmm. And body dysmorphia is very comorbid with OCD, meaning that you know people have both of the disorders mm-hmm. at the same time. Even if someone with body dysmorphia gets a plastic surgery, how is that going to solve the fact that they're still not confident in their own body? Well, it's it's all about, you know, their perception and how they themselves view those little, like, minor flaws that they have in their body, as, yeah. you know, I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. So if getting plastic surgery is the only way in their eyes to, like, fix that flaw, mm-hmm. then they go for it, right? But when we're talking about these minor flaws, it's literally things like having a paper cut on mm-hmm. your skin, for example, you know, things that are completely normal that'll go away on their own. Yeah. But something like that is such a big flaw to them. Yeah. So now that we know that body dysmorphia is preoccupations with unobservable flaws in our physical appearance, right? How is that different from someone who just hates how their body looks, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. whether it be with appearance or weight? So there is a specification in body dysmorphic disorder that is called muscle dysphoria. I'm sorry, muscle dysmorphia, sorry, Mm -hmm. I got a little confused there, which is added onto the diagnosis if the individual is preoccupied with the idea that his or her body build is too small or insufficiently muscular. Mm -hmm. This is not a separate diagnosis, just a specification that is added into a diagnosis of body dysmorphia. So it's not a separate Mm -hmm. disorder. Mm -hmm. When an individual experiences dislike in their body due to weight, then that's when we may start to explore a diagnosis from eating disorder. There are six eating disorders listed in the DSM, but only three of them involve actual weight, mm-hmm. right? The other three mostly involve fixations on what you eat and how you eat it, mm-hmm. right? But the three that I want to focus on for this episode are anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorders. So let's transition to talking about the eating disorders mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. The first one that we'll talk about is anorexia nervosa. You may have heard of this before, right? This is a restriction of energy intake relative to requirements, leading to significantly low body weight in the context of age, sex, developmental trajectory, and physical health. I want to define what is considered significantly low weight loss. That's defined as weight that is less than minimally normal or minimally expected. So to summarize, anorexia nervosa is restricting your eating or starving yourself to lose weight. Having an intense fear of gaining weight, which is a motivator for these starvation behaviors, and a disturbance in how you view your body weight or how you experience your body shape. Another side note. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's actually very common for individuals to want to lose weight, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's normal and that's not a disorder at all. Yeah. But there are healthy ways to go about it, right? This becomes a disorder whenever you are deliberately scared to add extra pounds and you're restricting yourself from eating in order to not add any extra pounds you know people with anorexia like i watched some videos where like they they straight up maybe only have like a can of soda and like a piece of bread for the entire day like it's it's very bad like whenever it gets to that point yeah that's that's a disorder but like if you're just on a regular diet and you know you're you're getting in reasonable amount of exercise and you're still eating you're just eating different things because you're dieting that's not a disorder yeah okay so there are very specifications just like with every disorder that you have to meet in order to get criteria for a diagnosis Mm -hmm. for an eating disorder Mm -hmm. so end of the side note there right 
I couldn't find any specifics for how many calories individuals with anorexia nervosa eat in a day, but it's very low. Like, we're talking three digits. <laughs> but the severity of the disorder is measured through BMI, with a mild case being a BMI of greater than 17 and an extreme case being a BMI of less than 15. So about the BMI a little bit, right? The BMI has gotten a lot of flack for being outdated. And to be honest, it kind of is outdated, right? So this may not be the most accurate measurement for body weight, but it's actually possible for individuals with anorexia to have a normal body weight, right? Because the diagnosis comes from the restrictive food intake and self-perceptive behaviors, mm -hmm. not the individual's weight, okay? We don't account the individual's weight when we're making a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. What we're accounting is the behaviors that are associated with food. Mm -hmm. restricting yourself from eating and deliberately trying to lose weight and negatively viewing your body right you view yourself as fat even if you're really skinny mm -hmm. so it's those behaviors that yeah. we associate the diagnosis with not the actual weight of the person so there is purging associated with some cases of anorexia are you aware of what purging is mm -mm. What purging no. is, is essentially trying to compensate for the amount of calories you just put into your body. People usually think of trying to make yourself vomit, right? And while that is an example of purging, it's not limited to just vomiting, right? You know, there are people who would go excessively work out for like four or five hours just to burn off the calories that they just eat. That's also an example of purging, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's overcompensating one way or another to, to burn calories, Okay, that can be done through excessive exercise, it can be done through vomiting, you know, it can be done through, you know, I've heard urination mm -hmm. is actually one way yeah. to do it. So there's there's many different ways to go about with purging. You can actually diagnose someone with an eating disorder through like a urine test or a blood test. Yeah, yeah, you mm -hmm. can. You definitely can. Yeah. You know, and... Let's talk about some prevalence rates and some statistics, right? Mm -hmm. Prevalence of anorexia is quite low, with the 12-month prevalence being 0 to 0.05% in the U.S. It's much higher for women compared to men, at 0 to 0.08% for women, and 0 to 0.01% for men. So it's a very rare disorder, but it's one of the most fatal. It's estimated that 10% of individuals die as a result of this disorder due to malnourishment. The onset of the disorder the onset of the disorders typically adolescents and there's a big risk factor for those who have anxiety disorders or obsessional traits in childhood there's also a high risk for individuals with this disorder as an estimated 9 to 25 percent of individuals with anorexia having had one attempt at suicide so that's that's all that we have for anorexia mm -hmm. let's move on to bulimia right and this is kind of the opposite of anorexia mm -hmm. in bulimia the individual has a recurrent episode of binge eating what the DSM classifies binge eating as is this. Eating in a discrete amount of time, which is usually defined as an hour or two long mm -hmm. period. An amount of food that is definitely larger than what most individuals would eat in a similar period of time under mm -hmm. similar circumstances. Mm -hmm. A sense of lack of control over eating during the episode. So you feel like you can't stop eating and that you can't control how much they eat. Mm -hmm. So that's what the DSM classifies as binge eating. Lack of control over eating and eating in a discrete amount of time an amount of food that is larger than what most individuals would eat. So on top of eating, another behavior that is required for the diagnosis of bulimia is recurrent and inappropriate compensatory behaviors in order to prevent weight gain. So you binge eat and then you overcompensate to you know 
burn off all the calories that mm-hmm. you just ate. You have a huge sense of guilt for putting in all those calories. Mm-hmm. You try to burn it off right after. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I would summarize mm-hmm. bulimia, right? So usually, right, the purging behaviors that we talked about include vomiting, laxatives, fasting, or other excessive exercises, as mentioned earlier. And this also needs to happen once a week for three months, minimum, right? Individuals with bulimia usually are within a normal weight for their age, right? They're just unable to control their eating. And as a result, overcompensate their overeating by purging and trying to burn off those calories. That may explain why they're at a normal weight, to be honest. Prevalence rates for bulimia are a little bit higher than anxiety disorder, with the 12-month prevalence being 0.14% to 0.3%. Again, it's much higher in women than in men, with the prevalence rate for women being 0.22 to 0.5%, whereas the prevalence rate for men is 0.05 to 0.1%. Just like anorexia, this disorder begins in adolescence or young adulthood. Some risk factors include weight concerns and low self-esteem, and there have also been some links to depressive symptoms and social anxiety disorder. Do these ever go hand in hand? Like the depressive symptoms and like the... No, um, like anorexia and binge eating. Only because like let's say someone has anorexia and is diagnosed as an eating disorder. So they need to eat more. But they do. So they, they're binge eating. But then they're also like working out. Binge eating is... Okay, so think of it this way, right? It, think of it as like a spectrum. With anorexia, you have the complete opposite end of the spectrum with binge eating disorder. Right. With anorexia, you're not eating anything at all. Right, I know. With binge eating disorder, you're eating way too much. Right. And then there's like that middle in between the two, which is normal eating. Okay. Okay, but let's say someone's diagnosed with anorexia and they're told, okay, you need to eat more, you need to eat more. Mm-hmm. Whenever they're told that, is it possible that they start binge eating? Is that, do those ever go hand in hand? I mean, you would have to really compare to what, you know, is considered a normal amount of food for a person of that age, of that sex, and just that, like, you know, demographic to be eating, right? Mm -hmm. If all of a sudden, you know, someone with anorexia who is eating maybe, like, 800 calories a day somehow turns it around and is eating, like, 5,000 calories a day, then, yeah, probably that would be a binge eating, Mm -hmm. you know, episode. But I... I cannot, like, find one source or one example where that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. You know, if anyone does have those, you know, sources, by the way, if anyone has had an example like that happen, whether you've come across it on the internet or have had a personal experience, please share that with me. Or I reach out to us on social media or, you know, mention that during the answer for our Spotify question for this week. Yeah. If you do know of someone who has had anorexic behaviors Mm -hmm. or maybe has had a diagnosis of anorexia and has had a binge eating disorder once diagnosed, please let me know. I need to look into that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But, you know, just like anorexia, this disorder begins in adolescence or young adulthood, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about risk factors being weight concerns and low Mm self-esteem and, you know, Suicide risk is also elevated in bulimia nervosa. There is also some abnormalities that can occur as a result of bulimia, such as fluid and electrolyte abnormalities. Mm-hmm. Finally, right, mm-hmm. we have the final disorder that we will be talking about, which is binge eating disorder. So this disorder consists of recurrent episodes of binge eating, but no attempts to overcompensate for the excess calories. Mm-hmm. So this is exactly like bulimia, 
the only difference is you don't work out. Exactly. You don't overcompensate mm-hmm. for those calories. You just yeah. eat a lot and that's it. You yeah. Know? You just are totally fine with mm-hmm. consuming those excess I'm calories. I'm sure both or all three of these are like most common in LA. Definitely anorexia. Yeah. Body dysmorphia, 100%. I think like yeah. that's not even considered a mental yeah. disorder in LA, to be honest, which is crazy. But I mean, yeah, you know, binge eating disorder, right? It's it's recurrent episodes of binge eating, but no attempts to overcompensate for the excess calories, right? Which mm-hmm. is a characteristic for bulimia. Mm-hmm. So this disorder is more so characterized as just overeating and having no sense of control with your food intake and having trouble stopping yourself from eating. Mm-hmm. Okay. Individuals who have binge eating are usually overweight, right? As expected, you know, not trying to make fun of anyone, but binge yeah. eating disorder usually does lead to, you know, severe weight gain. Mm-hmm. And the prevalence rate is still higher for women compared to men with 0.6% to 1.6% in women and 026 to 0.8% in men. Are you actually surprised that it's a higher prevalence rate for women than men? No. You're not? Mm-hmm. Why not? Well, women are the ones who are like most... I feel like, I don't want to, like, generalize anything, but, like, usually women are the ones who are, like, most insecure about their body and look more towards their body. And then I know this is, like, a weight gain one, but, like, I don't see that as uncommon. I don't know why. It doesn't surprise me. It's, you know, it's it's having trouble controlling yourself. And, like, men are more, I don't want to generalize, but, like, usually men are, like, like to work out and enjoy doing that. And then women sometimes don't. Not all, but, like, it's it's like seen in LA. You actually brought a great point. You know, when you when you said working out, mm-hmm. a lot of people when they work out, they might be on like a higher calorie diet because they want to gain weight because they mm-hmm. have a goal to reach a certain yeah. body weight. So the recommended normal amount of calories you should be eating in a day is anywhere between like 2000 to 2500. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to gain weight, you might increase that to like 3,000, 3,500, maybe in extreme cases, 4,000, you know, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people told me that I should be eating 4,000 yeah. calories a day. I, I don't know how many I eat, but that's, that's not the point, but that does not count as bulimia or binge eating disorder because, right, there is a specific goal that's associated with those behaviors, mm-hmm. right? You want to gain weight. And once you get to that weight that you want to get to, you stop. You change yeah. your diet around and you go back to a normal diet, right? Mm-hmm. Usually that's what happens. If there is a specific reason why this behavior is happening and once, you know, you get that goal, that behavior stops, then an eating disorder will not be diagnosed, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and this is only diagnosed whenever there's no motivation behind these behaviors whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, you can binge eating disorder is kind of like an impulse control disorder because they really have trouble controlling, you know, their food intake and this stopping is, themselves yeah. from eating. And I feel like whenever we say that, like it's more common in women, it's not surprising only because women are very like, um, so like aware about their body and like care about it so much to the point where they they start dieting too much or they start working out too much. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Now, this differs, right? Binge eating disorder differs from just being really hungry, right? Because whenever you're just really hungry, you'll usually have a sense of control to stop eating whenever you feel full, right? Uh But individuals with binge eating disorder do not have that sense of control. Mm -hmm. They'll just keep going and going, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, how does this happen, okay? How does binge eating happen? How do you get to this point? 
So two psychologists by the name of Alice Elke and Anne Susak state that we don't just eat when we're hungry. Sometimes we eat out of boredom whenever there's food available. Yes. I am very guilty of that. Yeah, okay, I take too. a bunch of snacks to work and I'm just bored. So I start eating out of boredom. Yeah. Right. So they also state that three neural pathways interact to drive our behavior, right? To drive eating behavior. One codes for the perceived salience, which is, you know, salience is basically whenever we feel like we ate enough, right? Not, not that we're full, not that we're starving, but we just ate enough, that good middle ground. So we have one neural pathway in our brain that codes for salience, right? And then, right, we have another one that codes for the rewarding sensation of actually eating, right? Mm -hmm. Eating, you know, is pleasurable for the brain, right? Right. And could be pleasurable just for us in general, right? You know, we feel good when we eat. So there's a neural pathway that codes, you know, that rewarding sensation of putting Mm -hmm. food in our mouth. And the third one helps us control our consumption based on considerations of both short and long-term outcomes such as weight gain, okay? Mm -hmm. So even when we do eat, we still do have that, like, sense in our head, like, okay, you know, if I don't want to gain or lose weight, I should be eating this specific amount of calories. So those are the three neural pathways according to Alice and Anne. I like to pronounce them by their first names. Mm -hmm. So salience, rewarding and considerations of waking to sum it up right what's different about these pathways in uh, binge eating disorder generally overeating is attributed to an elevated experience of reward a reduced ability to inhibit the drive to eat or some combination of the two Mm -hmm. so what this means is that those with binge eating disorder have a lot more pleasure of eating compared to those without it right so Mm -hmm. they see eating as a way bigger reward compared to others and they also have a reduced ability right to control their drive to eat Mm -hmm. so you talk about eating being very pleasurable with a reduced ability to control it it leads to having binge eating disorder Mm -hmm. So studies of the pathways in binge eating disorder, you know, compare the latter to weight match controls as well as lean participants, right? So they study the pathways in binge eating disorder patients, right? And they compare them to weight match controls as well as, you know, lean participants. So participants who have their weight under control, mm-hmm. right? And participants who are really lean. Some of this research is conflicting, but overall we do see a decreased inhib- inhibitory control and increased sensitivity to reward. Mm-hmm. for both of those patients mm-hmm. right? so there have been some abnormalities in the neural pathways in the brain which lead to an elevated experience of reward and reduced ability to stop ourselves from eating not enough evidence has been found however to fully make this claim that there are neurological abnormalities in the brain for someone with binge eating disorder studies have proved some results but we need more studies to really you know come up with that uh, conclusion yeah. for sure right yeah, that makes sense. All that being said, I know you wanted to share your personal story with, you know, eating yeah. disorders. So take it away, you know, this is all you right now. <laughs> okay, I've never opened up about this. So this is like the first time. Well, thank you for opening <laughs> up. You know, we really appreciate that. Yeah. I know that this is difficult. So. But for those of you who don't know, I'm 18. And about like three years ago, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. I have never been diagnosed with body dysmorphia. This is a serious disease that involves diagnosis. Um, Being insecure about your body versus having body dysmorphia are two completely different things. I used to be very insecure about not only my body, but what I looked like on a daily basis. 
in middle school when I was like literally 12, 13. I spent hours working out and I only ate 800 to like 1,000 calories a day. Later, you know, when I was 15, um, I found out that I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. And this was when I realized like what I was doing was very unhealthy. Like I would eat so little but then work out so much and I would have like no energy at all throughout the day. Um, And I was only doing it because I felt insecure, but like no one else saw my insecurities. It was only like seen through my eyes. But like a way that like I coped with that was obviously I knew that this was an eating disorder and I knew it was a problem and I didn't want to like live with that, especially me like going into high school as a freshman. Um, I don't want, I didn't want to do that. So like treatments I found for myself were eating enough for my body and working out enough for my body and I know that like sounds very like simple but um I like started following like YouTube videos on like what's the appropriate amount of eating for people who did have eating disorders because trust me those like resources are out there and I started eating more like up to 2,000 calories a day and only working out for about like 45 minutes rather than flipping it around and like eating so little but working out so much and now that I'm 18, I've learned to love my, myself and my body and I eat an appropriate amount of calories and work out enough for my body to maintain what I want in a healthy way. So it is possible to like overcome eating disorders and they are very, very common, but um, it's a big difference between like being insecure about your body and actually being diagnosed with like a body dysmorphia. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely not. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I know that that's yeah. something that's very difficult to share. <laughs> I'm just very curious, you know, what did the professionals, you know, what was mm-hmm. their advice to you whenever you were diagnosed with this eating disorder? You know, what yeah. did, like, whether it be, like, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a medical doctor, mm-hmm. what were they telling you that you needed to do? Well, when I went in for the first time, because even, like, mom, like, my parents noticed they were like, you're literally not eating anything. Like, you've lost so much weight. Like, what's happening? So when I went in for the first time, they did, like, two tests on me. They did a blood test and a urine test. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a week later, like, the results came in. And then I had an eating disorder. So the professional told me, um, she was like, either go seek, like, professional help with a psychologist or you work on yourself to try to, like, make your weight higher so it was a doctor that diagnosed you yeah a doctor diagnosed me with it and then you know i'm tall too so i had to like reach a specific weight for my height and then she told me once you reach that weight you know you'll be considered like average weight for your height what eating disorder were you diagnosed with i she didn't tell me that she just told me she's i had an eating disorder it sounds to me like anorexia i think that's what it was yeah but you sound like you were very, you know, receptive to, like, the help. That no, was I was. Because she did tell me, like, she was, she's been my doctor forever. So, like, <laughs> I, like, she she told me what to do and I, like, listened to it. Yeah, you sound like you really understood, you know, the severity and the seriousness yeah. of a diagnosis like this. And, you know, it looks like it really clicked in you that you had to adjust your habits yeah. a little bit, which is awesome. You know, good job for realizing that. Yeah. And now a that lot I'm of like fail to realize Exactly. That. And now that I'm like eighteen and I like look back at it, it's like like I should not have been so like insecure about stuff like that. But like it's so normal. Like so normal. Yeah. But 
Treatments for like eating disorders usually involves both individual therapy, family therapy, group therapy, and in extreme cases, admission into rehab centers. And I guess focusing on anorexia, looking at it from the individual therapy side, CBT might look at addressing the emotions and faulty cognitive thoughts that lead into an individual failing to maintain healthy body weight. Um, I've heard that group therapy may assess the hierarchy. That is true. Do you want to like add on to that? Yeah, you know, group therapy essentially brings a lot of people with eating disorders together Mm -hmm. as like a support group, you know. Yeah. You may learn things that have worked for other individuals who have had experiences with eating disorders. That's what my professional told me to do too but it was kind of during COVID time mm-hmm. so that's why I reverted to YouTube instead okay. of like so you didn't really like get like mental health therapy no. with your eating disorder no I kind of no. just I mean it sounds like into it by my own. It's, that's very good though you know it sounds like you know you understood like the severity yeah. of the disorder and that was what you know that was what helped you yeah overcome I, like, it on your own I overcame it as soon as I yeah. found out I didn't like continue the the thing about therapy with eating disorders is that people don't go to therapy to you know magically stop having an eating disorder they go to therapy to realize that what they're doing is wrong yeah if that makes sense you know because a lot of people who have eating disorders don't think they're doing anything wrong Mm -hmm. and that's what therapy teaches them that this behavior is incorrect this is a very dangerous behavior that has a lot of you know negative Negative benefits on you biologically right so aside of group therapy right what that does right or what group therapy does you know try to do i should say right is it assesses your hierarchy of needs and it helps reduce the life-threatening behaviors like suicide and self-injury because it provides an outlet to talk Mm -hmm. about those issues Mm -hmm. right it can also help by reducing the inadvertent maladaptive behaviors that excuse a person from the normal expectations of behavior Mm -hmm. so people who go to therapy like i mentioned think that this is normal Mm -hmm. group therapy helps excuse that type of behavior and tell them that this is not normal and they need help right and there's other people around them who are like going through the same thing yeah yeah that helps a lot really severe cases of anorexia nervosa may lead to hospitalization right Mm-hmm. Doctors may begin refeeding the individual and also assure the patient's safety from a suicide attempt. So we might see them spend a lot of time in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Treatment for bulimia is very similar to that of anorexia. Therapists usually would focus on emotion regulation and behavior change that is associated with binge eating and purging. Right? We talked about eating for binge eating uh, episodes being a sense of reward mm-hmm. right? and the reward principle. So therapists might explore that option. Right? There's a lot of motivational interviewing involved, and this is due to individuals likely having little confidence that they can handle their emotions in a healthy way. Yeah. There's also a treatment called manualized treatment that is 20 years long. It involves a lot of self-monetization and modifying those behaviors that are associated with bulimia. Therapists would teach individuals how to change their dysfunctional thoughts around eating, weight, and body size. Mm-hmm. Clients would discuss their attitudes towards food, fatness, and media perfectionism. Therapists would address those issues on self-esteem and perfectionism. Very simple, very straightforward, yeah. right? Finally, treatment for binge eating disorders is very similar to that of bulimia, where therapists aim to change the individual's thoughts around food and self-perception, guided self-help programs, and examining previous relationship and grief issues have also shown some prognosis. I want to touch up on that last, last part, right? Usually... Oh. 
previous relationship issues, grief issues, depression could lead an individual to eating more, right? Yeah. Because they feel really sad. Yeah. And eating is a sense of reward for them, like right. we talked about it earlier. It's a distraction. Too. Exactly. And eating makes them feel happy. Yeah. So, a but lot sometimes of t- it's the opposite, too. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Sometimes it is the opposite, right? But we also have to look at for eating disorders underlying, you know, mental health disorders yeah. that are that are associated with them, yeah. that are comorbid with them, right? And I feel like if we address those other disorders at the same time we address eating disorders, the efficacy for that treatment will go up way right. more. Yeah. Because, you know, we talked about binge eating disorder. There's sadness that goes along with mm-hmm. it. So we address that depression. We address that grief. Mm-hmm. And find out why they're eating so much. It's a result of that. It's a way that they cope with that depression and grief. Yeah. So we teach them alternative ways to cope while mm-hmm. simultaneously working on those eating yeah. disorder behaviors as well yeah that makes a lot of sense you know well with all that being said we want to thank you guys all so much for listening to this yes. week's episode of psychopathology the podcast thank you guys for listening to my story mm-hmm. and to all of our information we shared in this episode thank you for sharing that story as well yes you know make sure to stay tuned and follow us on social media for updates about when the next episodes will uh, will be released mm-hmm. uh thank you so much for your wonderful support please make sure to share this with some of your friends and help us grow our pages and our platform and with all that out of the way we will see you next week bye <laughs> bye